Coming up next, The Crunch with Cam Slater. Conversations with a side of controversy. Every Thursday from 4pm, right here on RCR. Reality Check Radio. People are struggling to have conversations and connect with others that they don't completely agree with on every topic. And I think that's probably the biggest problem that we need to try and solve is how after all this division and after all this separation, do we end up bringing people together again? And what does unity really look like? New Zealand faces some pretty big issues. First one is COVID in the aftermath. There's no getting away from that. Second is racial division. It's been ginned up and it's dangerous. Another issue that maybe people haven't got their head around yet is digital currency. What form does that take? Is it programmable? Will it be used to manipulate behavior and patterns of behavior? Those questions need to be asked and answered. How can you have fair, open, democratic government by people who are appointed? It's a ridiculous idea. And if that idea is taken to its zenith, then this country is in real trouble because democracy, one person, one vote, where every vote is of equal value, has got to be the foundation of a modern New Zealand. What's true, what's not true, how our kids are to be educated. And, you know, I have a great fear for the future. I think we know from history where this could end up. This is The Crunch with Cam Slater. Conversations with a side of controversy, right here on RCR. Welcome to The Crunch on Reality Check Radio. I'm your host, Cam Slater, and this is the place we crunch the political issues and cut through the politician's spin. This week, the show's a little different. I took a bit of a knock last Thursday night and I spent two days in hospital with concussion and severe whiplash. The headaches mean concentrating is just a little bit too hard. So I've talked with my buddies and they've had a fair bit to say about the new government, so we'll have an extended chat with them. And next week I'll get back to my usual fear of interviews after I've recovered from getting smacked in the face hard. We'll dip into the mailbag, of course, and I always love that part of the show. And we've also got a little bonus for you. Author Alex Epstein has sent us two books that we've decided to use as prizes. Now, only one is available because my mate Mike from Foxton has had a couple of accidents and is laid up with the flu as well. So we've decided to send him a copy. So Mike, congratulations. You've got one of Alex Epstein's books called Fossil Future. And as I said, the book is called Fossil Future, makes the case as to the importance of fossil fuels. And he suggests that in order to flourish, we need more oil, more gas, more coal, not less, which is perfect for this government, given that they've brought oil and gas exploration back onto the agenda. So if you'd like to be in a chance to win this book, Text or email us telling us what you prefer and you use either oil or electric in the subject line and tell us why you think that. And next week we'll announce a winner. So send comments to inbox at realitycheck.radio or text to 2057. 
You're listening to The Crunch with Cam Slater. Right here on RCR. Reality Check Radio. Does anyone else feel the relief of having a new government after six years of the imbecile class ruling us? I certainly do. That relief was brought into sharp focus when reading through the two coalition documents and the list of things that have been delivered by both ACT and New Zealand First. It's clear that both David Seymour and Winston Peters negotiated hard, and the results are stunning. It's like we've hit the reset button and brought common sense back into government. And I get the sense that from the agreements of total belief that things are about to change in ways that I could only just have dreamed about a few weeks ago. And yet that's what it looks like on first blush. So many boxes ticked by this new government. Woke policies are being axed and the creeping malaise of the woke agenda has been strangled off. No more nonsense. And my, haven't the media elites reacted poorly? None more so than News Hub Harridan Jenna Lynch, who is upset at Winston Peters for daring to call them bribed media. Jenna Lynch called Winston's claim false, and she ran a nasty hit piece that said more about her and her ideology than it did about Winston Peters, what actually he said, which was, you cannot defend $55 million of bribery. Get it? Very clear. Well, we all know that what Winston Peters said is 100% true. The Public Interest Journalism Fund, of which $55 million was directly paid to those media organizations who signed up to the onerous requirements of the fund, was designed to muzzle media and for them to promote the government lie that the Treaty of Waitangi promised co-governance. To say otherwise would have meant those funds would have to be paid back. They were literally golden handcuffs. And we've seen the spin-off write an equally snarky review of the swearing-in of the new government. The author, Joel McManus of Wellington, said this about Amanda Luxon. Amanda Luxon sat right behind Chris, close enough to see his penmanship. She looked very proud. She still has arms. I mean, seriously? Still has arms? What sort of commentary is that? And then he went on to mock Andrew Hogard for the way that he spoke. Andrew Hogard spoke in English, but with such an aggressive rural twang, it was hard to know for sure. It was a spiteful, pathetic, and entirely what we've become used to from these media elites, who are still reeling from the fact that their team was resoundingly trounced at the election. And that's the thing. These media lovies really can't countenance the will of the people. They're anti-democratic and anti-freedom. They think they know best. Well, they're the enemy of the people. Witness to the tantrum throwing from Maori elites who have seen the wrong sort of Maori elected. We should be celebrating that seven of the 20 cabinet positions went to Maori, the highest representation of Maori in cabinet ever. That's 35% of cabinet, double the actual level of Maori in the general population. But the media won't mention it because it's not their team. And these are the wrong type of Maori, which is why you're seeing troughing Maori elites concerned that their gravy train is about to be derailed, attacking the government with the highest Maori representation in cabinet as racist, 
anti-Maori, and regressive, and bringing back all the worst aspects of colonisation and settler activity. They are that crazy. To party Maori with just 3.08% of the vote claims to represent all Maori, even when it's obvious they don't. Just 3.08% when Maori make up 17% of the population. That's hardly a mandate, but that's what they're claiming. The haters, wreckers, and looters have finally realized what this government is about, and they don't like it. So they'll begin tearing it down as just as hard and as fast as they can. And that's why we're getting talk about violence and protests and howls of outrage. Meanwhile, the rest of us all are breathing a huge sigh of relief. Normalcy has returned. I think Winston Peters may well be right. We're taking back our country, and it feels great. Want an easier way to listen to RCR? Well, you can now download the brand new Reality Check Radio app, both on iOS and Android. We've completed our beta testing, and the app is now live. You can visit the App Store's direct or find out all you need to know at www.realitycheck.radio forward slash app. That's at realitycheck.radio forward slash app. Our test bunnies have been hard at play to ensure you have access to everything, from listening to our live broadcast, downloading some of our incredible interviews, and checking out the latest blogs all from the very same app. So get listening and download the RCR app now. If you'd like to contact us here at Reality Check Radio, you can email us at inbox at realitycheck.radio or text us by sending your message to 2057. Now it's time for Cam's Buddies. This week we've got an extended Buddies segment so they can share their thoughts on the new government and agreements that have been released. My producer has them all lined up and ready to go, so let's hear what Cam's Buddies have to say about the new government and the policy agreements from the coalition agreement. Welcome to Cam's Buddies, Jimmy. How are you this week? G'day, Cameron. I'm very jovial, mate. We've got a new government that's actually set about making sensible policy. How can I be bad? How could I not be good? Yeah, well, that's exactly what I wanted to talk to you about in this extended Buddies uh, episode. Uh, I just want to get a gut feel of what everybody thinks about the agreements that were published last Friday, what that means uh, for you, what it means for what you think it means for the country, and what it means for um, the future of New Zealand. Well, I think it's excellent, actually. I, I really do. I think that National by itself would have never instigated some of these um more right-wing policies. I think that having ACT and New Zealand First have made a massive difference, potentially mostly uh, New Zealand First, particularly on the sort of co-government stuff. Um, I think that they've really had forced Luxon to give them a spine because we all know Luxon's pretty woke. So I I think it's fantastic. I think we're going to actually see some sensible policy changes, not just rubbish around the edges, you know? I think that New Zealand's got a chance to come back to its old standards. Yeah, I was talking to somebody over coffee and they said it's like common sense has been brought back into government and it seems like the only thing missing uh, from the policy descriptions from the coalition agreements is bringing back smoke-filled rooms to discuss policy. (laughs) 
Well, the left do seem to think that National's bringing back compulsory smoking for South Auckland. So yeah. I mean, that, I mean that, that's, just, that's just the ludicrousness of the Labour Party in particular. I mean, Aisha Verrill was all over X uh, complaining that National was going to fund its tax cuts by addicting children to cigarettes, which is just bollocks. But, I mean, she was getting slayed on, uh, on X, and it's like they're tone deaf to what happened at the election. It's like they, they don't actually accept the result of the election. No, they've got absolutely zero self-reflection, and they don't sit there and ask themselves why they got voted out. They're sitting there asking themselves why are the voters so stupid that they don't like my good ideas? And, 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 yeah, not many of them are good ideas. That's the problem. Well, they honestly have such a smug attitude that they are going to be in opposition for so long until they get some self-reflection. You win politics in New Zealand by winning the centre, not winning the extreme left. It's so, yeah. Anyway, it's all good to see. I'm I'm happy our side won. I'm very happy. I, I think that there's some really good policy. I think that Luxon's doing an excellent job as far as I'm concerned. Like, he's a lot better than I thought. He's been forced to swallow these, what I'd say would be some half-dead rats. By <laughs> they're still squirming. Getting Winston. Yeah, they'll be still squirming. But he's forced to. He's got no choice. You want to be Prime Minister? You're going to have to eat these, mate. That's what Winston and David said to him. Yep. And oh, it's fantastic. I mean, we could never imagine these policies three years ago. Well, I, I was just looking through all of the agreements, the ones with ACT Party in particular around firearms and things like that. National would never have done that if it wasn't for ah. ACT. And clearly New Zealand First had said to ACT, well, we'll back you on that as well. And it's forced National's hand into actually having to do something. And some of them are quite cunning. Like the shooting community has been absolutely aghast at the way we've been treated by the police. And their policy uh, announcements last Friday show that the police have lost control of the entire debate around firearms. They've had the policy direction removed to the Ministry of Justice and they've had the uh, regulation part of it removed to the Department of Internal Affairs, leaving the police and all of their sidekicks that have come from the police in the new Firearm Safety Authority out on a limb, completely divorced from where they've actually came from. Yeah, well, so how does that ever get back into safer communities, right? Because we used to have the local policemen dishing out local firearms licences, and we all, you know, locals, well, not all centrally Wellington-based, which is what the previous government just kept doing. Whereas I think Nicole McKee is an excellent firearm advocate. She's done the most work for, for firearms owners for a long yeah. time. Like, she's an excellent politician for firearms. And, and the woke hate her, so that's another good sign that she's actually a really good MP. She's the wrong sort of Maori, isn't she? She is the wrong type of Maori, unfortunately, so she doesn't count. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, and that's the other thing, isn't it? If you have a look at the uh, vitriol that's coming from, you know, the likes of Tuka Orangi Morgan, um, Willie Jackson, uh, various other Maori troffers who are looking at the gravy train being upset and they're, they're promising violence and protests and all of that sort of... It sounds like the government's on the right track if they're upset. Well, that's the funniest thing, because I saw Tuku Morgan's comments about resistance, and I was horrified when I realised he used to be in Winston's party, didn't he? Yeah, until he stole some underpants or something like that. Yeah, so 
Because let's let's be realistic. The people pushing the changes that people don't like are, are David Seymour and Winston. They're both Maori. They're just the wrong type of Maori. So it's Maori versus Maori. There's no way woke Luxon will be pushing any of this. The, Luxon seems to be taking all the heat for it, but it's actually Seymour and Winston. It's it, Winston's the main one who wants the, the government departments renamed. Yeah, I mean, no he, one. What is it's been funny watching him say, "Look, have you ever seen a canoe going down the road? You know, we need to <laughs> we need to rename NZTA back back to what it should be, not not this Waka Kotahi rubbish." Winston's honestly come so good. Like, you know, I've never been Winston. You know, as you know, I've never always used to say I can't trust Winston, but it's something like he's come good. He's like a miracle politician. Taken forty something years, but he's he's peaked. He's picked yeah, exactly, but that's the thing, isn't it? Like this, all this stuff about national being or or the government being racist. This is the largest number of Maori ministers in the cabinet. Seven out of twenty. That's thirty five percent. That's double the population of Maori, <laughs> and they're not getting any credit for it. It's not none at I all. Know. In fact, they're being called racist, and it's like that that those Maori, and look, you know, look at them, Shane Reti. Uh, Toma Potaka, Winston Peters, Casey Costello, Shane Jones, and two others, David Seymour, a- and they don't get credit because they're the wrong type of Maori. I would have thought the woke left would be super proud to have a deputy prime minister that's Maori, followed well, by another deputy prime minister that's Maori. Exactly. Um, <laughs> it, it, it beggars belief, 35%. Of cabinet is Maori. That's something to celebrate as a nation. And yet the media are all being miserable mouthed about it and saying, oh, this is a racist government that's going to bring back all the worst aspects of colonialism and settler mentality. Uh, it's all because they're not going to push the wokeness or the socialism. That's all it is. It's, they're just unhappy and they just call it racist. They're not racist. There's no way Winston Peters is racist. No. Winston. They just call anyone racist or whatever, insult just to... But it's losing its meaning, and soon people aren't going to care about being called a racist because it's literally going to mean nothing. They're going to kill the word. Yeah, I kind of... Like on uh, Friday, of course, I was in hospital. Uh, I kind of missed the announcement, but the feeling I got from people commenting around the place and sending me messages was that they felt like a terrible burden had been lifted from their shoulders with the announcement of the governing arrangements and the coalition agreements and all of the checklists that were produced. They felt relieved. Is that a feeling that you've felt since the announcement? Oh, yeah. I mean, I know people have started looking to invest in property again. They were like literally just holding off, holding off, and they've actively started looking to either develop, build, invest, buy property, rental properties again, because they know that they're going to get their tax relief on their um, mortgage payments, as any business should, for a cost. Yeah. You know, they're going to have stable policy around that. for you know, And so they're actively back in the market. So we're going to see the increase in rental supply. So we might finally see a halt to rent rising, you know, and that's going to be good for everyone. You know? There'll be a bit of a lag on that, though, won't there? No, oh, it'll take, you know, maybe six months or something. But, yeah, it, it'll, it'll happen. You know, there's a whole lot of other really good policy that Acton New Zealand first has got. 
the stuff around getting rid of the co-governments was all that's all fairly defined. But what's some of the other good policies you thought? I'm just trying to think of some. Well, spot. I think the um, powered-up COVID inquiry is going to answer a lot of questions that people have had, particularly around the yep. vaccines and and some of the other more excessive elements of the Ardern regime, like MIQ <laughs> lockdowns and, and the rest of it, the mandates. Um, I think that has the potential to cause irreparable damage to the Labour Party over the course of the inquiry. Well, potentially, eh? But if all those people quit or leave in the next cycle, then that's basically their only chance of coming back, isn't it? Well, I think so. But, you know, if you look at the behaviour of the Labour Party in the last few days, it's like they're tone deaf, that they haven't learnt the lessons. Yeah, no, they are. They completely are. Yeah. they just got no idea why they lost an election and... They next election they're just going to be more left because that's why they lost. They're going to sit in opposition for ages. They need a complete clean out, but it's good. I mean, that's the thing with Christopher Hipkins, is that he forgets that we know that he was on that stage beside Ardern the whole way through. Oh, he's donkey deep in the whole thing. He tried to wash his hands of it. He's the head minister of all the. Yeah, he's a disgrace. He needs to go and find another job because he's never ever going to be prime minister. It's just a waste of time. He's probably going to be pretty good at holding the government to account because he's experienced parliamentarian. But that's about it. But he's not going to find a high-paying job like that in the private sector, is he? Can no, I don't think so. I wouldn't hire him. <laughs> and I'll tell yeah. you what's a masterstroke of this new government. Yep, David Siebel will be minister of regulation. That well, he's going to have excellent. to perform. That, oh, yeah, that, every, everyone has to perform. But it's going to be bloody hard to cut a lot of the bureaucracy because the bureaucrats don't want to, you know, they're deeply embedded in feathering their own nests, and he's going to have to try and defeather the nest, which is going to be quite hard. Well, they need to not yeah. just defeather the nest. They need to knock the nest out of the tree, stomp the tree all over down. it, <laughs> and cut the tree down so that there's no more nests that are built there. I know, so that's, I would say he's going to need a fair bit of time to sort of develop strategies, techniques and ideas to sort of go into one of the ministries and cut all the trees down. You know, when you first start a job, you're never really good at it. It takes a while to sort of figure out the strategic ways to deal with things. Yeah. And um, Well, the problem is that, is that, that you, de- gets- you develop those strategies and then uh, uh, what you end up with is the the bureaucrats find ways to hide what they're trying to do with those strategies. <laughs> yeah. And it becomes an exercise in, in whack-a-mole as, as they try and duck responsibility. Yeah. And what, what are, other appointments I think are fantastic is Shane Jones to the regional development. It's, yeah. He's just such an excellent MP. And I can tell it's a good appointment because the woke left are howling about it, even though it happens to be Maori. It's an excellent. Yeah, wrong he's sort be of Maori. So good at that. Again, you know, that's the thing. It's, he's the wrong sort of Maori. He's he's a plain speaking Kiwi that uh, believes in one standard of citizenship for all. He's a Harvard educated man. He speaks the Rio amazingly. Yeah, he's he's a New Zealand legend, and he's in charge of our regional economic development. And I could 
couldn't be happier. And he's got a big budget. He negotiated a great big budget that's going to fix all these crappy roads, all the roads wrecked by the cyclone, all, you know, help towards the roads in the Coromandel and help all the regional, because we, we can't prosper if our regions don't prosper. I mean, and that's, so that's, that's a key thing because, you know, uh, government tends to be Wellington or Auckland-centric. Uh, and only yep. ever deals with the uh, provinces when there's an emergency. Yeah, well, actually, that, that's something else that's come out of this election, Cam, was the, the void between Auckland and Wellington in terms of politics. Like, it's almost time to break up the government and spread it equally around the countries from Whangarei and Chicago and put all the, all over because Wellington is so woke. Like, you know, look at their electing Green Party members, Wellington Mayor and other Green Party members winning seats in Wellington, yet Auckland voted 45% national. The well, void between the two cities is huge. I once said to a national minister what they should do is have all of the departments spread around the country. So, you know, yeah. uh, Inland Revenue Headquarters is now in Waiuru. You know, Ministry of Social Development's headquarters is now in Palmerston North. You know, all of the places that no one wants to live. Yeah. We we send the uh, civil servants there, tell them they've still got a job if only they move, and um, they yeah. said, "Oh no, no, we can't do that." I said, "Why is that?" And they said, "What? Well, it's too hard to sneak up on them." You know, uh, as a minister, you you want to actually just arrive in the department unannounced and watch the panic ensue. But if they're out in the provinces, <laughs> they know you're coming. Well, I think they need to be spread around because it will that socialist culture that just seems to drive into government departments and then encourage secret growth and non-productive jobs is self-fulfilling. So we, if we spread it around, the, put IRD in Invercargill. The, um, Wairu. No, it has to be Wairu. Why? Because no one wants to live There's there. There's nothing there. <laughs> There's nothing there. So, you know, and, and having IRD move there and all of their staff will focus the mind that they perhaps perhaps don't want to have a career in IRD and will end up with a smaller internal revenue department and will have a, a much more efficient system because no one wants to live in Wairu. Well, this is, why, why doesn't this happen? Is this, why hasn't this happened? Why, why does everything get focused on Wellington? Well, I... It's, actually, it's, if you look across the West, it's all the same because look at Canberra, look at Washington. Yeah, they develop Whitehall. these swamps. They develop yeah. these swamps, and swamp creatures love them and sit there and vote against the interests of the country. And and you can see that in the voting patterns in New Zealand. Wellington votes out of step with the rest of the country. There's yeah, more there's way. more green wombles in Wellington than there are in the whole of Auckland. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's a big problem for a country over time. Mm. You know, they just live in bubbles. They've got no idea. Like, I think part of the funniness of election night was watching all the journalists and that just absolutely shocked at the result when no one, no one I know was that surprised. Everyone was like, yeah, well, this, you know, what this is what we thought was going to happen. It's in line with talking to our friends and, and anecdotally and roughly in line with the polls. And yet people were shocked. Yeah, they still are. And, and we watched Jenna Lynch on the news the other night attacking Winston Peters for saying that they were bribed media because they took some of the 55 million. And she was outraged. This is false. This is 
this is fake news. You can't say that. It's it's not true. And Winston just doubled down and kept on going. And everyone I know who saw that was saying, yeah, that's exactly why I voted for Winston Peters. Well, so it we was. Can... I've read the thing. It was You got the money based on the principle that you pushed the partnership of the treaty and certain other conditions. That's, that's bribery in my books. It's pretty easy to understand. When you get money that comes with conditions, isn't that bribery of some sort? Absolutely. But uh, well, J- J- Jason Walls is having a moan on X about it as well. He's going, astonishingly, Winston Peters has not only repeated his airing of conspiracy theories about media being bribed by the $55 million public interest journalism fund in the cabinet room today, he went further. Tell the public what you had to sign up to to get the money. <laughs> so he's doubled, <laughs> he's doubled down. And he's just going for do- the doctor and the media are upset. And I'm sitting here thinking, yeah, that's why I voted for you, mate. That's why, exactly why I voted for you, to keep on hammering this. Winston Peters has just, he's just been, like, he's honestly become my hero. Like, <laughs> he just doesn't care. He just say exactly what we all think. Everyone yeah. is too scared. He's got nothing to lose and fantastic I, I just can't speak highly enough of them I wish them all the best I, I hope these guys go really well this term I hope they get some big policy wins in the way before Christmas set the tone have a good break and then come back power into it next year and the more howling I get here from the, the left and the woke and the people on X moaning and claiming racism the happier I'll be because I know that the government's doing the right stuff yeah, I'm like dancing a little happy dance every time I see these journalists and and media lovies having a whinge on X or Facebook or wherever else they want to have a have a cry, and I just like feel like telling them to cry harder because <laughs> we've sat there oh, for six years watching harder, these fools. Cry harder on yeah, just it's just unbelievable. Cry harder on Twitter. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm I'm getting blocked. <laughs> cry harder. <laughs> Anyway, it's come a long way since the bad old days of the Auckland lockdown when me and you were ringing each other to counsel each other. Mr. Wow, Flatter. yeah, as I was driving around ignoring it. <laughs> uh, so anyway, anyway, that's my rap, man. That's great. I'm, I'm super happy. Right. Well, okay. Well, hopefully that will continue into the new year, but we'll talk again next week. Thanks okay, for that. Thanks, thanks for that, Jimmy. Cheers. Welcome to Cam's Buddies, Marcus. Good afternoon to you. How you doing, mate? Well, Good afternoon, be- bud. How you doing? I've been better. I got took a smack in the face last week. Oh, mate, I saw that, actually, yeah. Um, yeah. I was wondering what the other guy looked like, but um, apparently it was a flaw. Not a scratch on him, apparently. <laughs> oh, well, never mind. We can't all be heroes, eh? No, but spending two days in hospital with concussions, not a whole heap of fun, I've just got to say quietly. I've just, I'd have to say that I'm very, very happy that you remember who I am. That must mean we're real, real buddies. Yeah, that's right. Real buddies. <laughs> so, Marcus, yeah. we, we've got, you've got back from uh, overseas. There's been a few changes. We've now got a government um, that's been announced. We've had the coalition agreements published with a set of policy goals and and achievements that they wish to tick off. What's your thoughts on mm-hmm. that? Well, um, 
firstly, I think it's quite cool that they've published the um, the agreement between the three parties. I think that's a first, isn't it? Um, talk about open and transparent, Jacinda. This is true open transparency where you can actually see what they've given up and what they've gained, um, which is pretty cool. Um, which we can and, also and hold the them to account with as well. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And it, it gives you a sort of an indication as to what went on in those negotiation um, meetings that they had in that. Yeah. Um, which is which is pretty cool. Um, yeah, I thought the list is quite encouraging, shall we say. Yeah, I mean, I looked at the list, uh, both the ACT Party list uh, of achievements and the New Zealand First ones, and I was sitting there thinking, wow, like, you know, all of the fuss that the media made about how long it was taking and all of those details that they were moaning about, it's quite clear that David Seymour and Winston Peters took negotiations far more seriously than the idiot media did and have come up with a a list of things that if you voted for ACT, you'd be pretty happy with the the achievements of that, particularly around firearms. Uh, I didn't yep. vote I didn't vote for ACT, but I'm happy with what they're trying to do with firearms. And if you look, if you mm-hmm. voted for New Zealand first, you'd look at the list that he's uh, that Winston Peters has achieved there, and you realise that all of the uh, lines that Winston never delivers, he never honours his promises, are all out the window uh, with with that document because the very things that he's promised that people were thought were important, he's delivered. It's incredible, actually. It's quite funny thinking about how the media was acting um, over this period of time and saying, oh, it's taken a long time and uh, Luxon's no good at negotiating, he's supposed to be really good and all this sort of care. It's kind of, there's egg on the face of the media now because they've not just formed a, a fairly robust-looking government, but they've done it in a manner and then they've told everyone exactly what they've done and the media now is sort of left dumbfounded going, well, what are we going to complain about now? <laughs> There's nothing left because they've told us everything. So yeah, I mean, I'm I'm pretty stoked about Winston Peters and what he managed to get through. I I, I voted for him this time, and and it wasn't an easy decision to make. But mainly, I voted for him because of the um, promise that he was going to do a proper open open investigation into the um, COVID response, and and he's managed to get that through. And um, even though it's quite funny because the media speaking about it again um, is kept that really quiet, and they haven't really mentioned that much in all their discussions, have they? No, they haven't mentioned it at all, but mostly they're having a whine about uh, the reprioritization of um, various different... Maori names. Maori names and policies, and they're getting bent out of shape and say, I mean, this is the thing that I can't, you know, understand, is that the media and various different commentators are saying that this government is racist, that they're um, anti-Maori, uh, they, they, they don't, uh, they're not uh, representing all of New Zealand. And I'm sitting there thinking, hang on a second, this is a government that's just announced more Maori in the executive, in cabinet, seven members out of, out yep. of 20, 35%, the highest percentage ever, the highest by number ever of Maori in those positions. Oh, I see what I see. What you've done there wrong, Cameron. You've used facts. You know they don't like facts. No, that's, that's your problem. Is that you, you're using facts instead of emotion, emotive slogans and 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 oh, they're they're getting rid of all these names on the health board that no one knows what they mean. That's racist. But you know, the fact that there's a whole lot of Maori on in, in cabinet now. I mean, 
that fact is a little bit awkward. Let's not talk about that one. No, they're the wrong sort of Maori, though, aren't yeah. they? Yeah, that's right. They're, they're the sort of Maori that want to actually move forward in life and actually get something worthwhile for their families going forward, you know? And so we've it's, got um, the media yeah. just sitting there white-anting everything the government is doing. They're carrying on about, you know, saying that apparently they're going to fund the tax cuts by forcing um, children to become addicted to cigarettes. And this is the facetious level <laughs> of, of argument that these fools uh, are having. Um, why do we actually listen to these yeah. media people anymore? Well, I I've got to confess, mate, because I was about to say to you, I haven't actually heard any of those reports from, and I'm using quotation marks, the media, um, possibly because I don't actually listen to those media outlets. So, um, so, so I, I actually haven't heard any negative, any negative things from the media too much, to be honest. They've sort of been a little bit flat-footed, but I mean, I'm sure there are people out there saying this sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, I haven't seen it, and don't really care, to be honest. At the end of the day, the people have spoken, you know. This is where we want to go. We don't want to go down this virtue signaling rubbish track and and gender affirmation, affirmation rubbish. And We want to actually get back to the basics and sort out this country and stop printing money like it's going out of fashion. And We'll see what happens with that. I mean, I, I still think we're in trouble, um, and it's positive to see the direction the government's going. Whether it's a true direction or not, we'll see. And like you said at the beginning, we can hold them to account now. Oh, well, that's right. Yep, there's a full list there mm. of things that they've said they're going mm. to achieve, and they're not, you know, yeah. rubbish rubbish things like ending child poverty and you know hopeless things like yeah. that, that. That Jacinda Ardern came up. With I wonder. I wonder, claimed that I, wonder I wonder if they're. I wonder if they're going to have a budget of the wellness budget or something like that, eh? <laughs> <laughs> I think they're just going to have a yeah, budget that not. focuses on, uh, I don't know, finance. Yeah, they're, they're re- reducing debt. It's not printing money. Have you seen? Uh, have you know. seen the um, attacks on Winston Peters for saying that uh, the media were bribed with the um, Public Interest Journalism Fund? Have you seen those comments? No, I. No, I, I didn't see that, but I saw something briefly about it. I heard somebody mentioning it, and I, I, I didn't catch up with that one, though. It's, it's, again, it's just sort of, sort of sour grapes, I'm guessing. You know, everyone, the media is no no fool, whatever they are, but they're no fool that, in so much that they know that Winston Peters doesn't like them. So who do you think they're going to focus on that's going to be Winston Peters? He's he's a devil incarnate when it comes to this. I, I'm, yeah. I'm a bit disappointed that he's not, he's not the... Um, the Minister of Broadcasting or whatever um, that he was talking about, that would have been quite funny if he had taken on that role. <laughs> no, but he's been uh, certainly sledging the media out and, and uh, you know, especially Jenna Lynch and Jason Walls, uh, they're having a big right. moan and you know, written articles saying, oh, this is factually incorrect, you know, we weren't bribed. Well, we all know they were. Well, what do you call a government grant, you know? that you didn't actually have to work for. You just sat there and they gave you all this money. What, what is that? I mean, what, had, what did you have to do to prove that you needed that money? Well, that's right. And there were strings There were strings attached, though, with that money. They had to agree to a heroic rewrite of the Treaty of Waitangi and assumptions that simply never existed um, in 1840. 
please please name something that's not a bribe if that isn't, you know. I'll give you this money, but if you take this money, you're going to give us that contract. That's called bribery. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, what uh, what did you think about the fact that um, Winston Peters is Deputy Prime Minister and then David Seymour? I thought it was quite quite giggly. Well, well it's a little bit cute, you know. It's, it's... <laughs> What's that all about? Who, who do you reckon? Who do you reckon came up with that idea, Luxon? Um, yeah, probably because. Um, he didn't he, know what to do with it. He, he didn't know what to do, and and you know he didn't want to go the whole yeah. woke woke thing like the Green Party where they have co leaders. You know, we couldn't have a yeah. co co deputy prime minister. So, oh well, we'll just do a timeshare. It's an elegant solution. Yeah. Um, it's pragmatic. I, 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 I guess so. I guess so. I, I I think it it kind of I don't know. It kind of it kind of it's kind of a little bit petty, I think. But I I. I Somewhat think that it came from Lux and not from Winston or um, David. I think they were just like, eh, whatever. We'll see yeah. what happens. And the deputy prime minister's yeah. role doesn't really do an awful lot. Is the other jobs that they've no. got are far more important. Um, so yeah. you know, I don't think it matters too much. Um, you get to have it on your CV, I guess. Um, but someone who's been around as long as Winston Peters uh, probably doesn't care about a CV anymore. No, I'm thinking that too. That's why I'm thinking it was either David Seymour or Luxon that sort of brought that on. Yeah. But um, I don't think it would have been David Seymour. He doesn't strike me as that sort. Anyway, was, I had a bit of a giggle when I saw that, though. I thought it was quite funny. Yeah. What, but, uh, I mean, it's, it's an interesting scenario having three coalition partners, and we've never had that before. So, I mean, I guess this sort of is trailblazing stuff, and I'd imagine that probably going forward, if we do have another three-party coalition, I think the default go-to will be that now with regards to the big titles in government. I think they'll probably timeshare them between the two minor parties. Well, if they play their cards right, um, that, then they should all get re-elected with varying different levels of support, and then they can just you know mm-hmm. recast, recast those cards, I guess. Mm. I, reckon, I reckon out of all three of them, I think probably NZ First came out best, in my opinion. Um, they they got a lot over the line, like you say. Um, Seymour did as well. I think enough to make him feel like he's achieved something, which obviously he has. Um, I don't like the guy. I think he's a turncoat. But um, I like I like X policies. I do like X policies. That's why I voted for them in previous elections. So yeah, we'll see what happens. I, I, I'm, I'm optimistic, shall we say? But this is the honeymoon stage, isn't it? It's easy to say all this stuff, and everyone's sort of patting you on the back. Well done. Congratulations! Now they've got to get down and do it. It ain't going to be easy because the mess they've got to clean up is quite huge. Well, that's the thing. There is quite a huge mess, but the both of the documents show a willingness to uh, grasp the nettle to deal with the hard stuff and actually try and yeah. uh, start putting the genie back in the bottle. And you know, it it it, it, it might be it you know wasn't that, a flat that, piece of. No, no, that's exactly Sorry, it's not, Yeah, no, it's not. It's this is not one a once over lightly document. These documents are no. in depth. They show that that all the parties have consider put considerable thought and effort into how they're going to solve these problems, and they've made a very clear signal that we're not going to have any of this woke nonsense, you know, with calling things Waka this and Kotahi that and all the rest of it. We're going to actually start calling things for what they are. Uh, and, who, and, who was it? 
Who was it that said something about um, Waka Kotahi? Uh, I mean, when do you, oh, it was Winston, wasn't it? It was when Winston. Do you, when do you have, <laughs> how can you drive a canoe down the road? <laughs> but the, obvious oh, an, the, the obvious answer, which obviously the media are too stupid to have answered, was, well, when I'm towing it with my, on my trailer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> on my trailer. Yeah. Exactly. And that's just before I send it up onto the Air New Zealand safety video, you know, and make it fly as well. Yeah, I know. It's just Magic. ridiculous. So, you know, I think that they have signaled to a lot of these government departments, focus on your core business here. here. Stop worrying about pronouns and Namihis and Tanakwes and, and all sorts of other, you know, uh, marification of processes. Concentrate on delivering services for um, for the taxpayer, uh, or find yourself a better job. They're going to they're going to have to do a bit of a clean out, I'm sure. There's, there's a lot of a lot of people in these positions um, that Labor's left there that are well down the track of this woke rubbish, and they'll have to clean them out because they're not going to they're not going to be very useful to this agenda that's um, been clearly signalled by this this government, you know, they're not going to work with them. So I don't know how they're going to do that. It's going to be difficult. I want to see how many working groups they have going forward. <laughs> I bet there's fewer than Labor. I don't think there's too many working groups at all. They're just going to get on with it. I mean, that's the difference. Yeah, because they know, between, what, they know what they're doing. Yeah, I mean, um, Jacinda Ardern wouldn't let her ministers make any statements, wouldn't, wouldn't uh, make any decisions. It was all essentially made by five people. The ministers were there just to get paid and uh, be token. The National Party, incredible, uh, really. National Party and New Zealand yeah. First have got experienced people who have been ministers in the past. These are hands-on people. They're not going to take nonsense from the government departments. They're going to be the ones that are issuing the orders and making sure mm-hmm. that things are followed up on and delivered. I mean, if you look back at the past government, you had Phil Twyford. Remember him? He was going to do mm-hmm. amazing things, building houses, you know, made all sorts of grandiloquent statements about, you know, you've just got to get in there and build and build and build. And he didn't build a single thing because Why is that? The, they the didn't last gov- know. The last government. Yeah. yeah. last they, government just made all sorts of grandiose statements. Yeah. They made, easy to say words. That's right. They, did, they just made statements and then they never followed up. They thought – that this was a command and control economy like the Soviet Union. And if you issue orders from the Politburo, then, you know, the uh, people do do what they're told, otherwise they get shot. And when they found out that you can't Mm -hmm. actually shoot people um, and they're not actually following orders, (laughs) they're not actually following orders, then the government fell down because they had no ability, uh, wherewithal, knowledge, skill sets, Nothing. To, to be able like, to hold a, a hold them space. accountable. Yeah. Exactly. It was a, yeah. you're right, completely vacant space. It'd be like in your business, you, know, you said, Oh, we're gonna build some bridges. And um yeah. and then you didn't actually send anyone out to do the actual jobs gonna, that are required. We're gonna, we're gonna build a hundred thousand bridges. How are you gonna do that? Uh, it's someone else's job. We we've we've employed a working group to figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> Then the working group comes back. Oh, we can't do that. Oh, well, how many can you do? I don't know, ten. Uh, mm. well, that's not going to cut the mustard. We'll just 
build none and we'll pretend it never happened and we'll start talking about something else like child poverty. Yeah. And then we'll come up with a, a something that can't be measured, isn't measured, with no deliverables, and we'll claim success. The only reason they got elected back in last time was, uh, and it was well and truly, I remember Jacinda's, remember Jacinda Ardern's um, year of delivery? Remember that? And there yeah, was I think zero was, delivered in that year. I think it was she stillborn. She was saved by COVID, something chronic. Yeah. yeah. Ultimately, she was, she was, this, yeah, was stillborn. <laughs> Ultimately destroyed by COVID too. Well, yeah, absolutely, because, yeah, ultimately, but they weren't going to last more than one term if they COVID didn't come in, and then the second term they got shown to be completely vacant spaces and they had no substance to any of their words whatsoever. Most open and honest and all that sort of thing was just all a bunch of rubbish, and all of their promises turned out to be completely um, words, nothing more. They were just slogans. It was a government of slogans exactly. and bumper stickers. Yeah. Yeah, exactly and, right. They did, they did do a lot of damage, though. Somehow they managed to do a whole lot of damage. They didn't do anything that they promised in their election um, campaigns, but they certainly did a whole lot of stuff they didn't mention in the election campaigns. Well, things we're paying for now. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, and we will be for generations, I believe. I, I mean, we're in a big hole now, a big hole. And... Um, I don't see things getting any better um, with regards to financial stability anytime soon. Um, and it's still a, a hard road ahead. But, I mean, at least, at least the noises coming out of the government now are more in the direction of where I think is the right direction, um, where they're bringing back personal responsibility a little bit more. They're starting to pay attention to what the people want, not what the government wants. So it's a rem- long may removal- continue, I think. It's the removal of the nanny state as well. I mean, I was talking to somebody earlier today, and they said to me that they just feel nothing but relief at the, you know, formation of the government and looking at all of the things that they've said they're going to do. They just feel relieved that finally we've got a government that is doing sensible things, not crazy stuff. Yeah, exactly. But I understand that that sense of relief of whomever you were talking to this time probably is exactly the same form of relief that whoever it was that voted for Jacinda Ardern the first time felt when they were saying all those slogans too. So we have to check ourselves a little bit and say at this point in time, this government is all words as well. There's no action. Let's give them the benefit of the doubt, but at least we've got a, a piece of paper now, that coalition agreement, where we can actually hold them to the fire and say, this is what you said you were going to do. You haven't done it, so please explain. And and that's what we need in government, and that's what we need the media, you know, the fourth estate to do. But unfortunately, they're not going to do that. You know, I I don't know. I I believe they'll probably change their tune slowly. They can't do an about turn overnight, but I believe they'll probably change their tune a little bit when they start realising that um, actually there's not a whole lot of free money from the government now. We're going to have to actually get off our ass and do some work, and then start reporting. They may pull themselves up by the britches, but I, I just can't see it. There's, there's too many people involved in media that are too far down this woke track that they can't get out of it. That goes all the way to the top, you know? Yeah, and they've got an attitude that they know best in that um, the electorate who voted contrary to their own beliefs were just simply wrong, and they're going to now prove that we were all stupid and wrong for voting for those parties, and uh, we should see just, the error of our ways. I really hope 
that if media companies are in trouble going forward, that this government and, and people just let them fail. Let them close shop. Let them fold. Let that be a warning to other people and other media companies that actually you need to be on your game to survive in this world. You can't expect grants from the government and, and, and bribes and that sort of thing to get you by anymore. You're going to have to actually pull up your socks and do the hard yucca, you know? You're going to have yep. to do it yourself. Same with, all, same with all the banks, all that sort of thing. We just need, we need, I know it's going to be going to be painful for a lot of people if banks go, um, I was about to say tits up and I can't say that, but if they do, it's, it's going to be painful, but we have to let some some of these big corporates fail if they can't become relevant, you know, if they can't actually make their business work and if they can't control their expenditure and their income, they need to fold because SMEs around the world, especially in New Zealand here, we, we're pulling all the heavy lifting with regards to the GDP of the country and we don't have a backstop like that. We don't have a, a way to to not fail. So we need to let some of these big boys fail as a warning to the rest of them, you know. And I hope this government does that. No, I mean, I'm positive. I'm not positive. I'm hopeful that they see this light a little bit more and that that's the way that the direction they're heading. And I hopefully all the media and these corporates will pay attention and, and start changing their ways, you know. Mm. Get rid of their woke CEOs and that sort of thing and start looking at what they actually have to do, whatever it may be. Like oh, yeah. the government departments like we're talking about before. Everywhere in, the, and, yeah, everywhere in the world where you've got where they've gone woke, they've gone broke. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like a bud, do you? Oh, you can't buy them anymore. <laughs> <laughs> no one wants I, a bud like And, and by they? the way by by the way, I don't feel like a bud because that's piss water. <laughs> No, you'd be uh, you'd be uh, full-bodied Scotch is what you're after. That's the one, mate. Single malt. I don't know, eighteen years, maybe. I bought an awesome Belvini over in the state, magic. No, well, maybe you and I'll have to sit down on the boat and um, have a, a few of those and some um, some big, huge cigars to celebrate this government. Well, I, I think that sounds like a jolly good idea at the moment. I'm smoking a big, huge cigar, and um, I haven't got a scotch in front of me, but I'm about to make that change, and I'm sitting on the boat. You might have heard the noise in the background. It's pretty windy. No, I can't hear a thing. Excellent. Anyway, Marcus, thanks for your comments, and we'll talk again next week. All right, buddy. Good chatting. Thanks a lot. Our text machine is now live. Send us your thoughts by texting your message to 2057 that's 2057 so get in touch with us now this is the crunch with cam slater conversations with a side of controversy right here on rcr Welcome to Cam's Buddies, Miles. How are you this afternoon? I'm very well this afternoon. Very positive and looking forward to a really good government. Well, that's uh, good because that's exactly what I want to ask you about in this extended version of Cam's Buddies uh, after I took a bit of a smack to the head. Um, what do you think about Good Lord, the form- I hope you're all right. Yes, I'll be fine. You know, a couple of days in hospital doesn't hurt anybody. <laughs> anyway, um, last Friday, as I was in the hospital, 
all of the announcements came out of the new government and and the various different agreements and the policy program that they've announced. What are your thoughts on those? Well, I'd just like to talk a little bit about what I think about the ministers. And, um, you know, I'd like to start with the National Party. Mm. And a person I like a lot is Judith Collins. And I know she has... um, the ire of the media, but I don't really care. One of the things that really impresses me about Judith is she has a a strong moral compass, and this comes through in her Christian faith and the fact that the lefties, in particular Hamish Keith, had a go at Judith Collins about her Christian faith absolutely disgusts me, and I'm pleased to say that I guarantee Hamish Keith wouldn't be doing the same for a Hindu parliamentarian or even a Muslim parliamentarian. So, Hamish Keith, you need to hang your head in shame. Well, he's but one of those Ponsonby liberal with, elite people who, who thinks that, that everybody should hang on every word he says. Yeah, well, look, I like Judith Collins. I like her moral compass. She's the Attorney General. Um, I think, you know... We had a really poor Attorney General in the last government, and I think um, Judith Collins is going to um, be a strong, positive, and uh, a really good Attorney General. I also note that she's the Minister in charge for the Royal Commission, and this is the one with respect to the mosque shootings, and I think that's going to be very interesting to see what happens there. But let's move on to Luxem. Yep. Okay. Um, Luxon's copped a lot of flack in the lead up to the election, and I have to say, I'm liking what I'm seeing. I'm really liking it. Luxon looks like he's the man of the times. He has certainly got some management skills. I don't think anyone would argue that, and I think he's going to need them, <laughs> to be fair. But the point I'm making is that. Luxon looks quite comfortable in in the job, and I believe he has done a great job with respect to the coalition agreement. Mm. Just on that for a second, Miles, we had commentators like Matthew Hooten, who famously was involved in the Todd Muller debacle, but we had him, uh, you know, being touted on them in various different media, TVNZ and Radio New Zealand, in his columns complaining about how hopeless Christopher Luxon was with his negotiations. But when you look at those documents, when you look at those coalition agreements that have been signed, there's been a lot of work that's gone into those. And he had to steer all of that through and chart a course that's never been done before in New Zealand politics before, where we have a three-way coalition. Uh, three parties actively all in cabinet and part of the government. And it looks to me that he's done a pretty good job. Now, you might think, you know, what's going on here? Maybe the cam's knocked to the head has um, has has knocked some sense into him because I've been critical about Luxon in the past. But when you look at those documents, you can't help but think there's a fair bit of management that's gone into that, and he's had to lead that. Yeah, I think credit where credit's due. I'm shocked how good the policy documents that the three parties have agreed to and released. And the other thing that's 
really fantastic. And I can hear the Marxist and the commie heads exploding all over the place, is that these policy planks that they have pre-announced means that the likes of a simple man like myself can actually say, oh, look, have they done something? Yes or no? I mean, it's measurable. It's achievable if it's measurable. I like it. And I think credit where credit's due, Luxon deserves a a healthy slice of um, congratulations for delivering that document. Now, on the specifics of it... Sorry, you you go. I'd like to leave Luxon because I think there's a lot of things that need mentioning in the in the government. I think Shane Retty for health. I mean, what a good choice. Shane Retty turned up. He was at hospitals, in hospitals, looking at hospitals when he was in opposition. Yep. I mean, granted, that's what he should have been doing. But I think the health minister at the time totally ignored the hospitals and how they worked for to try and achieve some sort of ideological goal. And I think Shane Retty, to be fair, has a hell of a hard job and he has got all the experience, all the knowledge. And, you know, I feel that despite the fact that our health system is teetering, I think Shane Retty's the right man for the job. I'd like to say, if I can, and get one thing in, Shane for heaven's sake, look at removing the COVID-mandated health workers that have been excluded. Can we get some sense into that, please, Shane? Let's just get those people back to work. Exactly, 100% agree. And I think Winston Peters is pushing for that too. Yeah, and, you know, my, my congratulations have to go to Shane for actually being there and doing something. Now, I'd also, there's a few other people I'd like to mention. Um, Melissa Lee. Now, Melissa Lee is the Minister for Media and Communications, as well as Economic Development and a couple of other portfolios. But I'd like to deliver a bouquet to Melissa Lee. And I attend ANZAC services regularly. Um, In fact, a couple every ANZAC day. And Melissa Lee turned up at Mount Albert War Memorial Hall for the ANZAC service. It was pretty thankless because that was right at the peak of the Ardern cult and Ardern was there, but Melissa Lee was also there. And I think she's a hardworking, really intelligent person. I like the cut of her cloth and I believe she has a scalp of a Labour minister. You might be able to correct me with that, Cam. Yeah, that's correct. She did. She um, oversaw the demise of Claire Curran. And, you know, there's something that Melissa Lee really, really exemplifies in this government. It's hard work turning up when there's absolutely no chance of anything positive being said. Mm. But I have to say, um, Melissa Lee, actually, she did the job. She did the hard yards, and now she's got the media and communications role, as well as um, the Minister for Economic Development and the Minister for Ethnic Communities. And I think couldn't go to a better person. Yep, dead right. She's a hard worker. And, um, you know, it was my father who's the person who got her involved in politics. Um, you know, and the other night, uh, 
we were out for dinner for my father's birthday and Melissa Lee was at the same restaurant, came over, spent quite a bit of time talking to dad. So, um, you know, she's one of those few politicians who actually acknowledges her roots, where she came from in the party. And, um, you know, all power to her. I mean, she nearly won Mount Albert as well, you know, just a few yep. votes and she could have been the MP for Mount Albert as well, which has, you know, traditionally been forever a Labour seat and she nearly did it. I know exactly what you mean, and you know that just goes to show how much um, that people really appreciated her turning up and her efforts during the um, thankless days of Ardern. And I'm just going to move on because I also think that there's a couple of other people I'd like to mention. Perhaps sure, go for it. Erica Stanford, man, Erica Stanford. She runs rings around them on the TV, and I just like her positive attitude, and I like the fact that she's the Minister of Education, and I'm kind of hoping that she snuffs out this whole woke push in education, and I really believe she's got the sense of humour, she's got the intelligence, and she's got the grit to do it. So, um, Erica Stanford, go hard. Yep. What about um, any act politicians at well, Beach of Fancy? I've got um, a little list, as you might think, <laughs> of act people. <laughs> okay, David Seymour. Listen, David Seymour, man, he's delivered. He's, I know he's a bit of a policy wonk and he's not everyone's cup of tea. And, and to be fair, sometimes he just goes over the top. But the reality is he has delivered... I think in spades, the um, what the uh, Act voters, and also more importantly, I think, what New Zealand really needs. And the one thing that I really love David Seymour for is he is going to be the minister in charge of cutting red tape or regulation or whatever you want to say. And good Lord, I think we need it. I think there's a few bureaucracies that have wrapped themselves in red tape, and I think that the average New Zealander really needs to understand that they have some personal responsibility. It's not the government telling you what to do and how you can do it. It's actually personal responsibility matters, and I think that David Seymour is is going to bring a little bit of that back. Yeah, I think you're right. I think uh, David Seymour hasn't impressed me in the past, uh, particularly um, some of the comments he made you know, at a barbecue at my place, which you were at. But, you know, then again, uh, with Nicole McKee, they've delivered for firearms owners and the police. Correct, and I'd like to talk a little bit about Nicole. Yeah, the, the police appear to have shot themselves literally in the foot uh, with the way, the high-handed way that they've behaved towards firearms owners over the last four years. And as a result, uh, staring down the barrel of not having any say whatsoever now in any policy development regarding firearms, and certainly not uh, with the regulator, as they like to famously call it. And there's a a whole lot of brass uh, that transferred from the police to the new Firearms Safety Authority that'll be sitting there wondering what just happened to them. Well, I like Nicole McKee. I've met her on numerous occasions. I've talked to her. She's down-to-earth, sensible. She has worked hard her entire life. 
She's brought up her family. She has been out shooting deer for food. And you know what? She now has a chance with her role in justice with respect to firearms, I believe, um, specifically mentioned. But she now has a chance to do something with firearms regulations and law. And the one thing I feel very thankful for is that Nicole McKee is the sort of person that listens to what people tell her. Now, this is all very different from the last six years. I mean, I remember going to select committees on various issues, and I made a point, actually, of of presenting in person. And they were simply not interested in what I had to say. And I feel that that is all about to change. And credit where credit's due, uh, Nicole McKee has had a hard road to hoe to get there. Yep. But she's there now. And she and um, Brooke Van Velden, um, because Brooke uh, Van Velden has got internal affairs, and um, Nicole McKee has got justice uh, firearms. So the two of them can work together and help firearms owners who, who, let's be quite honest, most of the 99% of firearms owners, they're vetted, they're valued members of the community, they're contributors. These are people that we should be pleased to have in our community. And I don't think that the police is the right place and neither does the ACT Party and kudos for them for getting that across the line in the negotiations. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing that I was pointing out to you know, our club members, that it was very important that ACT and New Zealand First act together to ensure that firearms changes became part of the coalition's agreement because the National Party wouldn't has no interest in dealing with this. And so unless it was made a condition of the coalition agreement, which it has been, uh, then there was no way you were going to force the National Party to to vote accordingly, and now they have to because it's part of the coalition and, agreement, and so therefore there's a majority, and it doesn't matter what Labour and the Greens or Te Party Māori think about uh, gun control. It's irrelevant. We've got a coalition agreement which presumably has the backing of New Zealand First as well, and so therefore we've got the numbers yeah. to have meaningful firearms, law changes, yeah, where the police are completely removed from any involvement in it. And uh, they've shown to have had vested interests and been involved in empire building, and that is ended with this coalition agreement. You've uh, You've got policy and law being written by the Ministry of Justice now, and you're having enforcement or or safety the safety authority removed from the police as a business unit and put into Department of Internal Affairs. And I, as a shooter and a collector, am very, very happy to see the police neutered because of the way that they've tra- treated us over the years. Yeah, and all kudos to ACT and Nicole McKee in particular. And if... Um, I can say a personal thing, Nicole McKee, you've got 250,000 firearms owners who are all right behind you. So whatever you do, you listen to us, 
I'm sure that we can get a, a, a sensible and let's be quite clear, no one wants sensible, clear regulations more than firearms owners. We simply don't want issues that we've had in the past. We don't want that to happen ever again. And no, no firearms owner I know ever wants that. And we, we need to have simple, clear laws and regulations that can prevent that. 100%. You know, we're, we, nobody wants that to have these terrible crimes committed, but we need to be realistic about the people that create, who, who commit these crimes. They're criminals. Um, and no amount of laws and law changes is going to stop a criminal doing what they want to do. They just do that. You know, if, if laws yep. could stop murder, we wouldn't have any murder, would we? But it doesn't. Correct. I'd also like to move on to the next um, minister out, and he's a minister outside cabinet. He's also with ACT. He's Andrew Hoggard. Yep. And Andrew Hoggard, I was absolutely horrified when the media reported him as speaking with a farming accent. I couldn't believe it. What sort of tosh and poppycock is that? They'd no sooner say that than, oh, this minister or this parliamentarian was speaking with a Mexican accent, or what about this one was speaking with a Maori accent? I mean, yet they feel absolutely uh, uh, free to slate Andrew Hoggard speaking with a farming accent. And well, I'm, you know, I'm they, sorry. They never criticised the poor diction of Jacinda Ardern, who couldn't even say something. She had to say something yeah. every time, you know, and she said this all the time. It's just a mark of stupidity, but they never said anything about that. But uh, Andrew Hogarth opens his mouth and all of a sudden they attack him. It's just ridiculous. Yeah, it is ridiculous. And Andrew, I have great um, faith, will bring his uh, knowledge and skills and experience to bear. He is outside cabinet, I understand that, but he's the Associate Minister of Agriculture with particular interest in animal welfare and skills. And it is the skills part that I think is going to uh, stand us in very good stead. Andrew Hoggard knows what skills are required on the farm. I have a family member, my daughter, who wants to be a farmer, is desperate to be a farmer. And at the moment, there are very few farming ships, but the ones that are existing uh, are charitable and I mean, they're fantastic opportunities. You see farmers who have left money and, um, in, in some cases, farms in their will to be used to educate young farmers. And we need more of that. We need to see how Andrew Hoggard can help our farming community upskill. And, um, you know, a big tick with him because he actually knows what he's talking about farming-wise. Now, we're running a bit um, short on time, Miles. Uh, uh, so who, who else have you got on your list? <laughs> well, I quite like Winston. And of I course. quite like Winston. And the reason I quite like Winston, is, isn't it joyous to see the media being put in their place? I mean, yeah. we sat through six long years of having to swallow the media tripe, the regurgitation of the government policy in so-called opinion pieces and press articles. Winston, go get him. I'm loving every second. <laughs> yeah, um, me, me now too. Now, the next thing I'd like to <laughs> Casey Costello, look, she's someone I think is a shining light in New Zealand First. 
Minister for Seniors, Associate Minister of Police. That's very important because she provides an important balance to the National Minister of Police and really important Associate Minister of Health. And I think that Casey Costello has a lot to offer. And to be fair, I'm really excited to see what her contribution will be. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it too, especially uh, you know in the areas of interest that she's uh, got a strong uh, interest in, particularly around Maori issues and uh, and policing. Well, let's see what Shane Jones can do because he's got some really nice portfolios in fisheries and energy. And I think Shane Jones is no nonsense. We need no nonsense approach to fisheries, and we certainly certainly need a no-nonsense approach to energy. So overall, Miles, you're pretty happy with the formation of the government. You're very happy with the policy initiatives that they've announced. Uh, And it's a work in progress, but we've got a checklist that we can hold them to account on. Yeah, and I think a dark curtain has been lifted. And I think there's rays of sunshine bursting through all over the place. And I'm, I'm seeing a much better feel in the economy as a result of it. Well, hopefully that will continue because the economy certainly um, has been in the doldrums the last few years and uh, anything that will get some business activity happening uh, naturally rather than forced has got to be good for the economy. Yeah, I I totally agree with that. We need it. We need it. We need it now. All right, Miles, thanks very much for your very entertaining thought processes on the new government and i'm sure the listeners will comment accordingly and we'll talk next week thank you very much cam welcome to cam's buddies paul good afternoon good afternoon how are you cam yeah you're getting better after a smack in the head from last week but uh you know recovering um okay and that's why we're having the extended cam's buddies this week and uh, I thought I'd catch everybody's thoughts on the new government and the coalition agreements and all of the information that's come out as a result of those and what you think about those. Yes, um, well, that was quite a black eye that you had was sporting there, and it was um, a particularly interesting look, but um, um, all the best are getting well. I hope you, you mean soon. As far as the um, the coalition agreement is concerned, I feel like um, I felt good. There was a number of things that I've heard so far, and I've think, gee, that's positive, or yeah, I like that, and oh, that's good, and and a few of them are like, I am a firm believer of um, people should be responsible for their own actions, and yep. if we have to force by government that this group of people won't smoke, but this group of people who are a year older, then I'm thinking, why don't we let stupid people do stupid things if they wish to? Or why don't we let people who want to smoke, smoke? We don't have to govern their every move. And if there's a lot of saying, oh, yes, they're going to be a burden on society in the future with their um, emphysema or whatever, and I say, well, well, will they? I think the amount of tax they paid, it's a net gain to the country to have a smoker. Um, regardless of how much they use the health system, they've more than paid for it by the tax that we've um, been given by their um, their smoking. 
So I'm not a smoker. I have been one, and I guess there's nothing worse than a reformed smoker. Mm. But I just think, well, by making these rules where we're forcing a group of people not to be able to do things, I think that adds a black market. It did with many other products, um, like alcohol or um, drugs or whatever. It just makes a black market, and things still seem to be traded. Um, Another thing that I thought was getting charter schools to go again, when we look at how beneficial charter schools were to um, some of the poorer in our community, there was a a school or two that was a charter school that had absolute brilliant outcomes for the lowest socioeconomic community. And as such, I looked at those kids and I'm thinking, they even got an award from the then Prime Minister saying, well done and all this malarkey. Next thing you know, um, the unions are saying to the Labour government, can we cancel um, those schools because the union doesn't like them? And I'm thinking, and next thing you know, they were cancelling schools of kids that were absolutely in the decile one, two and three area when they had decils. And they were actually, I was stunned by how badly they treated such things. And then... um, that charter schools policy sort of snuck under the radar and there's not been a lot of uh, talk in the media or anywhere else about that. You're actually the first person who's brought it up you know, on the show today. So um, it's an interesting one and it's something that I certainly support to, to see those who are least among us get a better chance. Yes. Well, I happen to be on a school board and the school board that I'm on is it, when there was a decile system, they were a decile 1C. So these are the poorest of the poor. And some of the problems we have at that school were things like a kid was misbehaving and when you talk to them, they haven't had any food for four days other than what they've eaten at school. And they wanting to take some food home for the family from school because there's no money in the house. And many schools don't have those problems. So being on the board of such a school, we actually were able to, we did a lot and we've raised a bit of funds and, and we've got those kids performing at 80% success rate. Um, and mainly the main biggie that we've got is attendance. If we can get them to come to school, we can educate them in whatever the curriculum is that they're working on and they're doing very, very well. So much so that our government said, oh, you can take a cut in your funding because you're not a struggling school with low decile people. Your kids are passing well. So we were able to make them encourage the kids to learn. The kids did very well under our teachers and leadership team, and the teachers were all just passionate, and now we're getting funding cut. And you look and you think, wow, this is one of the poorest of the poor because the decile system at the time had alpha characters in it per each level, so one... ABC and, and whatever, but a 1C was sort of, there's only a 1A and a 1B poorer than our schools, and or than our school at the time. And so seeing charter schools getting to be brought back, I was really excited. And I think they need to have some sort of contract that says that if you bring your, your charter school back and you invest in the money to make this happen, then we'll pay you under contract for another 20 years. So even if the change of government happens in nine years or whatever, those schools can continue on because they're being paid for. Because once one group of people on the left decide to cut such things, that was a, a 
incurable outcome for many students. Yeah. Another thing that I thought was interesting was the rural growth front has been re- redone, and I'm thinking New Zealand First did pretty well in the rural communities, got quite a lot of projects underway and quite a lot of benefit from the previous growth fund, yeah. the rural growth fund, and I see that there's a bit more available for... Um, I forget the guy's name who was in charge of it, but um, Shane Jones. He's number two in New Zealand. Shane Jones, that's it. Well, he might not be number two, but number two in my mind in, in <laughs> um, the New Zealand First Party. He always uh, it had a lot to say that seemed intelligent because he's an intelligent man. Yeah, Harvard educated, and, and I, of course. I see um, Harvard, exactly. And, and these are the good things. I mean, if you can get someone that's Harvard educated doing good things for our country, all good. The other thing I was seeing um, is that with the people on ACT saying, you know, let's have a, a look at this referendum, not referendum, the um, how did the inquiry go with COVID? I'm very happy with that. Yep. That's a New Zealand first achievement, that one. That's a New Zealand first. Well, I think that's another good one. And um, I'm listening to these guys and they, they just seem like they're making sense. And that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, I looked through the agreements while I was stuck in the hospital, and I was sitting there thinking, well, I'll have a look at the act. I didn't vote for them, but let's see what they've put together. And I'm going, mm, I like that. Yes, okay. Yeah, I like that one. Yep. Like that. Yep. And I just kept ticking off these things, thinking that's sensible. That's sensible. Okay, I'm liking that. Now let's have a look at the New Zealand First Agreement. And it was exactly the same as like, all right, these guys have negotiated like demons. And um, got uh, put together a, a, a policy agreement where they're all agreeing to support each other. And, you know, I haven't been someone who's been a big fan of Christopher Luxon, but I look at what the media said about him prior to the, the completion of the negotiations, and they were saying he's hopeless, he can't negotiate, this is appalling. And I'm looking at these agreements and I'm thinking, you know what, he's actually done a good job in putting these together. And so, well, what I know, thought was good is he's got some controversial policies there that he would probably want to have enacted, but it would be better if they came from ACT or NZ first. Yeah. And um, as such, I'm thinking that's all good. And so he can get the policy in without getting the blame. I thought that was probably quite smart negotiation on his part. Yeah. I mean, you know, Matthew Hooten was vociferous in the media saying that Luxon uh, lacked serious negotiation skills. But I'm looking at these agreements now and I'm thinking that Matthew Houghton's not a very good judge of character when it comes to business negotiations. And I really wonder if he's actually run a business in, in the past or something as complex as putting all of that together in basically two and a bit weeks. You know, yes. it's, it's incredible. And when you read some of those policies, you can see Act had a bit of a hand in, in, in things there. And you're thinking, oh, yeah, that's um, like I quite like the um, when you tell me different government departments' names, and I don't know what they do, who they are, or what you're talking about. And so I've got to look them up, find out what their other name was, which is like if it's the Ministry of Education. I know what they do because it's in the name. Or yeah. if it's the Ministry of Transport, I know what they do because it's in the name. But if I've got to figure out what they're doing, because if it's like a walker being a boat and the kotahi being 
whatever kota he is, I'm thinking, well, is it the the marine department or is it? Uh, it wouldn't have picked it as eroding from the words that they've given. And so I'm thinking, well, if we can get back to using names that we all recognise, because, um, and then I heard um, uh, Mr. Morgan on the TV saying it set race relations back. 50 years, well, in my mind, it set them forward because when people are getting things forced down their throat, they become anti. And when we're all the same people, like when Winston says he was pretty keen on one person, one vote, not a lot more. Act says one person, one vote, not a lot more. Well, I'm thinking, well, I like that. These are policies that work for me because when I was growing up, the different kids, I didn't know who was what. My best friends were Cook Islanders. Well, Cook Islanders are Cook Island Maoris. And those were my best friends. And I knocked about with them. I didn't even know that they weren't like me. I thought we were all the same. We were poor. They were poor. It was just a poor lot of people having a go, having a bit of fun, doing things and whatever. And then it comes all this other stuff whereby, um, oh, no, you've got to be careful of everybody's feelings because they could get hurt if you say something. These guys don't get hurt by that. They're thinking it's silly. And um, then all these names being added, uh, I just found it starting to become a bit confusing. And now that people are going to turn that back a bit, dial it back a bit, that kind of suits me. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? Is It seems to me that we've got a government that has put common sense at the forefront of all their thinking. And all of this nonsense, woke nonsense about whether someone's Arthur or Martha or can't make their mind up or whatever it is, it's all out the window. Uh, we're going to deal with reality now because that's how the, how we actually have to live in real life, with reality. Yes. And, and um, you know, when you're running a business or, or employing people, you, you actually don't care what they want to call themselves. They can call themselves Fred if they want. Uh, you just want to know whether yeah. they can do the job. And if they can't do the job, well, down the road you go. Well, I had a business where our receptionist was one of those openly gay men who giggled and laughed and waved his wrist around as he spoke. And when I gave him the job, I was really concerned. I gave him a trial period, which I, I like the trial periods coming back. I gave him a trial period of, of um, 90 days. Yeah. And... Although he was a drama queen away from the reception, when you phoned in, you had a great experience. He yes. was helpful. He was professional. He was fantastic. Did I care that he was flamboyantly gay? Not at all. It wasn't mandatory for me to become gay, so I was all good. And so then when he was away from the, the reception desk, oh, he had boyfriend trouble and you name it, he was a nightmare. As soon as he put that headset back on, he was back into professional mode, answering the phone and transferring the callers around in a fantastic manner. Well, he ended up just being one of the team, you know? Yeah. And I could care less about what his preferences were um, once he wasn't at work. Yeah, exactly. We all actually, that's how we lived until the last few years where we had all of these nanny state rules and regulations about what we could say, what we could think. People were actually too scared to speak up. Now, you and I have never been people who are scared to speak up and speak our minds. We've always done that. And if someone didn't like it, it was well, too bad. Mm. But but we're back to that now. So, you know, opinions, uh, they're like 
they're like noses. Everyone's got one. Um, thank you for your opinion. And um, I don't agree with that. So we'll just move on the conversation like grown-ups. Mm, exactly. Uh, and I'm also pretty pleased that the um, MP, I think, of East Coast Bays is going to relook at the education system as far as, um, I forget her name now, but Erica she'll be Stanford. looking at the education. That's yeah. it, Erica Stanford. I think it will be good if she gets back to reading, writing, and arithmetic and sounding out and not not this whole word nonsense. And so we've got a generation of kids that can hardly read. Then we threw COVID on them in lockdowns for two years so that they could didn't have to go to school. And what we've ended up with is a group of people that are um, going to be tough to employ in the future. There's going to be like a 10-year block of people that are behind where they should be unless they're working hard. And so if we can get um, some policies back to, you know, sounding out, learning how to read, learning how to write, learning how to do mathematics, the important things, then that's a, a great thing as well. I think we've, we've got some, some good direction for um, nets provided that the public service doesn't sort of block all these MPs from things that they're intending to do. So overall, you've got a pretty positive outlook on the formation of the government, a positive outlook on the policy agreements that they've put together, and um, it's a work in progress, but um, with some positive signs. That's exactly what it is. And I'm, I'm feeling like I, I might start investing in the, in a few things now because I'm feeling like I don't have to I'm, – I'm not – I'm just feeling a little bit more buoyant. I don't have to have rainy day money quite so much. I can actually mm. go and have a look and take a few risks knowing that normal behaviour will be resuming shortly. Well, that's fantastic, and hopefully we'll talk some more about that next week. Thanks a lot for your call, Paul. Very good. Thanks, Cam. Take care. Be well. Bye Bye. Welcome to Cam's Buddies, Jack. How are you? Fantastic. Well, apart from a you know black eye, that's uh, something to be believed. But anyway, that's what happens when you smash your head on the sink on the way down towards the floor. Well, you've always been one-eyed, so that was God's <laughs> way of just proving it to everybody. <laughs> Indeed. Last week um, on Friday, I was in hospital. And I missed all of the announcements and all the excitement of the new government and everything. So I thought, yeah, I've got a bit of a you know few headaches with the old uh, concussion that's uh, happened this week. I thought I'd talk to my buddies a little bit longer than normal and see what they thought about the new government and the agreements that have been put together and the policies that have been announced and what your thoughts were on those. So far away, Jack. Everyone's waiting to hear well, your pearls of wisdom. <laughs> no, they won't be pearls of wisdom. I, whenever I, whenever something like this happens, I always um, am reminded of Phil Twyford. I don't know why <laughs> he just comes straight to mind with huge promises and absolutely nothing delivered. So I kind of uh, watch and wait. Yeah, I guess we have to do that, but at least we've got some documents that we can mark progress against. We've got some things we can, you know, create a checklist. Have you achieved that? You know, what's your time frame for that? And all of those sorts of things. We haven't, I can't remember ever seeing such a list of uh, goals or aspirations written so explicitly. 
for a coalition. I know. Agreement. I know. I have to say, I, I, I sort of um, have to retract a bit on Luxon. He did a great job of getting the three of them together. Yeah, I mean, that was what I've been saying to the others. I mean, I've been highly critical of Luxon. Uh, I thought he was a bit of a womble. And, uh, you know, if I'd listened to the mainstream media, people like Matthew Hooten and a few others out there who criticised him and said he had, you know, poor negotiation skills. But just looking at those agreements and uh, looking at the government that he's put together, I'm sitting there thinking, you're a little bit sharper than the media would like us to think you are. Well, it's looking like that so far. So far, yeah. I mean, let's be positive about it and hope it continues. Well, you know, as I said, we've got a checklist now that we can mark their homework against instead of some sort of bumper sticker slogan, amorphous sort of thing like saving people from child poverty or, you know, building 100 million houses or, you know, that's your Phil Twyford uh, aspirational goals of which he, you know. How many did he build? I still don't know. I think it's less than 4,000. I think it's less than 4,000. 4, yeah. And he promised 100,000. Yeah, 100,000 over 10 years or 10,000 a year. They didn't even get close, and they quietly just uh, stopped talking about it like it never happened. What amazes me is, even though it was on a recount, he still got back in, which doesn't say much for the intelligence of Tiaratu. Well, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, How could someone who is so poor at, at delivering fairly simple things. I mean, you come out with a statement, you're going to deliver 100,000 houses. It's going to become very obvious if you don't deliver it. And and I guess that's what we're looking at here with this government is we've got a list of deliverables that have been produced in these documents. And we can actually hold them to account and say, well, okay, where is this in the first 100 days? Or where's that in in the first 100 days? And that's refreshing. I mean, it is actually open and transparent, something that Jacinda Ardern promised us that she was going to deliver and then never did anything uh, that was open or transparent. Yeah, I think she was ill-advised somehow and naive. I just think she was sick. I was glad to see that Judith Collins is back and got some serious stuff on a plate. Unlike other people, I've got a lot of time for her. Yeah, I've got a fair bit of time for Judith. She's got seven ministerial portfolios, but Attorney General is the key job that she's got. And David Parker was the Attorney General before, and it's fair to say he let New Zealand down. And uh, I just don't think Judith Collins, who's a qualified lawyer, um, is uh, the kind of person that's going to let us down like David Parker did. No, plus she's, uh, she's strong. She's tough. Well, you need to be tough in politics. But she's super tough. Now, she is because she's held to a standard that's higher than everybody else's. It's a little bit like, you know, the standard that people hold Winston Peters to. And, that you know, that's the interesting thing too is everyone likes to complain that Winston Peters never delivers on his promises. And yet here we've got um, an agreement that has a huge number of promises that he's delivered on so far. You know, obviously they have to – tick them off. But but it's looking a lot better than it has in the past. And it and it shows to me that, you know, maybe Winston Peters and David Seymour negotiated their boots off. You know, they actually have both worked very hard to deliver for their voters. Yep. 
Winston Peters doesn't do himself any um, justice, I think. Um, like you say, he's delivered on a lot of things. But in the mind of the public, he's just a pathetic little rascal. And mm. he doesn't help himself by coming out with all these upstart remarks right at the beginning. I think he should, you're his mate, tell him to lie low a bit. Let things calm, the waters calm. And then, then get stuck into them later. I mean, what he's saying is right. I mean, that all that stuff that they're, they're decrying about, you know, the money that was given to the press, uh, they're saying it didn't have any influence. Bollocks. Who well, would believe that? This is the same media that gets upset about a $15,000 donation to a political party. So so what is it, media? Yeah. Is it money has no influence or it does have influence? You choose. Money mm-hmm. always has influence. Yeah. So plain to see on day one. Yeah, they they signed up to the fifty-five million dollars and there were some strings attached to that, and they dutifully attached those strings to their arms Obey. and legs and be- and became marionettes to the government. Absolutely, one hundred percent. And now they're getting upset because um, Winston Peters is telling the truth about them. What about the Simeon Brown? I don't know him at all, but I hear he's a little upstart. And um, here he is representing us to the CAA. Yeah, well, Simeon Brown is uh, his campaign manager was my father, so you know he must have some semblance of smarts. Yep, he's the new transport minister. Uh, I hope that he gets proper advice and doesn't listen to the various wallies that are in transport and CAA and you know maritime and all this who all have vested interests in the things that they do. And I know you're interested in the CAA part of it, but my experience of Simeon Brown is that he does listen to advice. Uh, he does listen to advice from people other than the officials. And, um, you know, maybe we can set something up and have a chat with him. That'd be good. But if he listened to the father, does he listen to the son? Well, I've invited him on the show a couple of times and he keeps telling my old man that he's going to give me a call, but he seems to have lost my number. So one of those. Well, unfortunately, there's a lot of politicians that are like that, Jack, but I'm well used to it, and it's no it's water off a duck's back to someone like me if someone stands me up like that, but I, I forgive and remember. You mean you forgive and remember? What sort of rubbish are you talking? You never forgive. <laughs> I always remember. Yes, that's more like it. So is there any specific things uh, from the coalition agreements or the various parties or perhaps specific politicians that you haven't already mentioned that impress you? Well, right from the start, that Brooke Van Velden impressed me. I see yep. she's the Minister of yep. Internal Affairs. What's workplace relations and safety? I'd like to know what that is. Oh, yeah, I don't know what that is. We're in, in, our, in our business, we're constantly being bombarded by officials to have signs here and signs there to do everything. And we can get fined if we don't have these signs. I mean, basically, they're saying that every single person in our place is totally stupid. And if there's a fire, they haven't got enough intelligence to walk out the door and, and gather on <laughs> the other side of the road while the fire is being put out. We've got to have signs everywhere. I can't imagine. Do that. I can't imagine that you'd have any stupid people working for you, Jack. Well, nearly true. <laughs> yeah, because you don't suffer fools gladly. That's for sure. What happens when you get old and grumpy? Yeah, I don't know. Is it grumpy or is it or is it realistic? 
Well, I hate reality, to be perfectly honest, um, because it does sour you a bit. Well, you, you know all about reality when you're flying a plane, though, don't you? Because if you get it wrong, you're dead. Yeah, you don't have... Um, in fact, you don't want to have any really young pilots. Never go flying with a young guy because they react too quickly. I always say, someone says, oh, I'm going for a fly on a plane. Did you think in a light plane, should it be all right? I say, has he got grey hair? No? <laughs> well, get him checked out. <laughs> um, you, need a, you need an older guy flying because um, that's where old age and uh, wisdom sort of beat youth and dexterity hands down yet again. But that's what we're seeing with this new government, isn't it? We're seeing a little bit of old age and wisdom coming through the the policy announcements and uh, driving yes. uh, the the things that we're doing. Common sense seems to be back on the plate when it comes to policies instead of all this woke I rubbish. I hope so. I really hope so. Mm. Any Everyone's other fo- rubbishing now. The new this, yeah, this um, smoking thing. They're saying, "Oh, we're going back to." Um, where we were before, but um, don't they know that prohibition doesn't work? I think the government are doing the right thing. People want to smoke and kill themselves, let them. Well, I mean, why does no, the government have to dictate who does what? No, no one going through school these days is ever going to think that cigarette smoking is a healthy, um, you know, uh, pastime. Uh, we know everything that we need to know about cigarettes. And um, and so I think you're right. We'd let people make their choices, and if they make poor choices, well, too bad. Um, they will have paid tax on the way through, and we'll be better off for it. Yep, absolutely. Darwin's philosophy, and I hope they extend that same sort of attitude to other things too. I'm sick of all of this regulation for doing everything now. Every single thing we do has to be regulated and checked by some idiot with a clipboard. Yes. Yeah, maybe we need to have a, a regulation to say no more clipboards. Yeah, and if the government could be brave enough to um, drop the minimum wage, that would help too. This is the problem with the country, in my um, humble opinion. Too many young people who are useless get paid far too much. And their attitude, I'm speaking from first-hand experience here, Back in the old days, back in the 70s when I started, people wouldn't go home until late. They'd just stay and get the job done. Now they're out the door within 30 seconds of their time and they've been working up to it for a while and they take as many breaks in between and they get paid quite a lot of money for doing that. And that's why this country now is going downhill. We're on a world stage there competing with other countries where they don't pay a minimum wage and here we are going backwards and backwards. We've got to compete. Is there any uh, any other things that uh, that you're happy with the government or uh, you're just okay with where we're at now and it'll be a work in progress and we'll market them accordingly? Look, Cam, it's too early to tell, but it's looking good so far. All right, then. Well, we'll talk about this um, in future, Cam's buddies. Thanks for your call today, Jack. Great talk to you. See you later. See you. My buddies are awesome. They never let me down. And this week, they've stepped up to help me out after getting smacked in the face. They seem pretty happy with developments so far. So tell us who you think was the best of Cam Buddies and why by emailing inbox at realitycheck.radio and text to 2057. And don't forget to be in for a chance to win a copy of Alex Epstein's Fossil Future 
by texting or emailing us your future preference, either oil or electric, and why you believe that. You're listening to The Crunch with Cam Slater, right here on RCR, Reality Check Radio. You've heard the words open, fair, both sides of the story. It's easy to say them, but practicing them often seems like a bridge too far. New Zealand, it's time for a reality check. Reality check. RCR, Reality Check Radio. Rational discussion, common sense, and open debate for real. With me, Paul Brennan. You know, you just can't make this stuff up. You couldn't write the script. Veteran broadcaster Peter Williams. Where is the evidence they actually make a difference? It turns out that was a very fair question to ask. Taking on the mainstream, Chantel Baker. Mainstream media, as usual, in their little perch. The man who cares so much and whose background is for real, Rodney Hyde. The doctors don't believe them. They can't get ACC. They can't work. They're told it's all in their head. Along with a raft of contributors to inform, entertain and bring the truth back to New Zealand media. It's time for a reality check, all right. RCR, Reality Check Radio at www.realitycheck.radio. We've arrived. Right, it's time for the mailbag. And we've got a short mailbag, but a couple of long emails. From last week with my interview with Wayne Walker, I've got some comments. One from Pauline. Love that statement regarding Wayne Brown. Sums it up beautifully. Another reason I have no desire to move back to Auckland from Golden Bay. Been here for nearly 10 years and love it. Brenda says, talking about those raised crossing bar areas, they are a nightmare if you have a disability. I have a vehicle with a side lift and have to take some on an angle so slow that I feel bad for the motorists behind me and some I cannot actually attempt. Also, if at any speed I have pain issues, that means I can only go slow. I asked a district councillor and they said they'll be everywhere. So much for inclusiveness. Anonymous says, not sure who this guy is talking with Cameron Slater, but he appears to know nothing about EV's unethical context, nor the WEF nefarious agendas with these EVs. Oh dear. And we've got a long one from Mike from Foxton. And here we go. Hi, Cam. Just listening to the crunch on Friday morning because last night I was interrupted by phones and people calling in. As you know, the crunch is my go to show. And as usual, it's riveting. Your interview with Councillor Wayne Walker is so interesting, but the problems you are dealing with in Auckland can be applied to anywhere in the country. I drove to Wellington yesterday and headed south at 6.30am between Levin and Otaki, took just over 30 minutes. The reason was the roadworks, with nobody there and cones by the hundreds. With 30 kilometre speed limits and the woke dickheads wearing masks, wanting to make sure that they don't get caught speeding so they'll crawl along at 20 kilometres an hour, it was mind-numbing. And that's the point I was wanting to make. I was informed by my younger sister that pedestrians have the right of way near a pedestrian crossing. 
I was dumbfounded thinking she was wrong, but she proved her point. She worked on the Lower Hutt City Council for about 25 years, and she told me that teenagers that were going to Hutt High kept getting run over after school because they had not learned what I learned in primary school. To stop, look, and listen, look both ways, twice, and if no cars are coming, you can cross the road. I'm not sure if that has been taught at schools for a while, but anyway, because the driver is deemed to be in the wrong, the school had traffic lights installed, so the woke, irresponsible, less than useful idiots can't be held responsible for walking in front of a car. A driver is responsible for all accidents because he is in charge of a vehicle and therefore must have eyes doing a 360-degree sweep whenever nearing a crossing. Stop, look and listen was one of the first things I remember when first going to primary school. Why can't we go back to the way we were taught in those days? We actually learned stuff that was relevant then and is still relevant today. Oh my God, gone off topic again. I was hoping you could ask your buddies what would be their first six to seven priorities for getting this country back on track, or as the humans say, pointing in the right direction and making money. My own first things would be number one, a proper inquiry into the COVID response with no conflicts of interest. Number two, Marsden Point being put back online. Number three, schools going back to the three R's and no gender teachings. Number four, not having a referendum on treaty articles, just the government showing some background and saying that they don't exist. Five, I love your idea with the policy on the media, so I'd want that implemented, but also a bit of an inquiry into how they portrayed the COVID response and some serious capital discipline dished out to them. Hillary Baring being the first on the chopping block. Six, all doctors, nurses, teachers, and generally all those who were vaxxed out of their jobs to be reinstated with back pay and those injured to be compensated. Seven, your idea about the money coming from all money put aside for woke crap like gender diversity, climate change, and all the shitty woke BS that's out there removed from the government, especially misdis and malinformation. And eight, putting law and order on the streets with more real policemen and make them real police like we had back in the day, not glorified social workers ticking the boxes for their woke liberal bosses. These, to me, are the first things that should be addressed, but only my opinion, and I've most likely left some out, some other important ones, something to think about when we have a government, and I'm happy for time to be taken to get the details right. Cheers, Mike from Foxton. Anonymous says, it was great to hear Wayne's solutions to your show. He seems to be one of the few in the council that have some common sense. I wish other council members would listen. I can't believe that they want to charge congestion charges when it's not the public's fault, it's the council and Auckland Transport. On my Shane Jones interview, hi Cam, just spent an hour and a half listening to you talk the roads and then a great chat with Shane Jones. Really Great content, mate. Great conversation. More, please. Anonymous says, just listen to the replay of Cam's interview with Shane Jones. What a man of wisdom. So pleased to hear the no-nonsense, down-to-earth direction he wants New Zealand to be heading. It's been a long time coming. Thanks, RCR. You're an important part of that process. And Jolly says on Facebook, really enjoy your New Zealand First interviews, Cam. Never rushed. Really informative. And that's the mailbox for this week.
Right, that's it for the crunch this week. I'm a bit under the weather, and that's why I've just focused on my buddies. I'll be back at it fully next week, though, so stay tuned. Next week, I'll be having a chat with George Wood. He's a former mayor and now a local board member, and it'll be interesting to hear what he thinks about Auckland Council and the upcoming 10-year budget of Wayne Brown. Plus, I'll chat with Fledger Tapito, who is returning to Parliament again with New Zealand First. Now, if you're using the RCR app, and you really should be to stay informed, you can easily get all our replays there as well as listen live. And a big thanks to the team that helped me put this together this week. It's been a bit of a struggle after getting the bash, but it's been a real pleasure having all of you back this week, and I'm loving your feedback and really enjoying talking to so many people about their thoughts on politics, life, and everything in between. So a big shout out to you all. Thank you for listening and having faith in me as we continue to explore this beautiful game of politics. Don't forget to email suggestions to inbox at realitycheck.radio for people for me to interview. And let's make this show the best political show in New Zealand. Stay tuned for a breakfast show repeat coming up next with features including money talks with my buddy Farzan Irani and Perigo's perspective with the one and only Lindsay Perigo. I look forward to having you join me again next Thursday at 4pm for The Crunch with Cam Slater. You've been listening to The Crunch with Cam Slater. Remember, you can check out the replays for today's show on our website at www.realitycheck.radio forward slash replays. Tune in every Thursday at 4pm for more with Cam Slater. Right here on RCR. Reality Check Radio.